Great to see you. Merry Christmas. I guess it's still appropriate to wish you that, isn't it? That's something we celebrate every day. Uh, There was a man, he was an atheist. He resented the fact, in fact, that people like us, people of faith, Christians, had so much cause to celebrate, so many holidays during which time we gathered together and celebrate the Lord. He lamented the fact uh, that we do, he didn't. And his friend said to him one day, well, why don't you make April Fool's Day your holiday? The scripture, in fact, does say, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Come on, folks. It's an obvious truth for which there's evidence. Uh, We are not self-generated. We're not self-sustained. There is a maker. We are the product of his creative activity, and we owe him submission, and we owe him worship, and to be able to offer it not just on Christmas, but every day is a distinct obligation and privilege which is ours. Uh, I'm from a Jewish background, and I don't know if I've told you that recently. (laughs) And in my background, we have many, many occasions to get together to worship. We call them the feasts or festivals of Israel. You can see them uh, recorded primarily in Leviticus chapter 23. You've heard of holidays like Pesach or Passover or Tabernacles or Sukkot or Pentecost, Shavuot, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Every single feast of Israel, every Jewish holiday is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23, save one. One Jewish holiday is not mentioned at all in the Old Testament, only in the New Testament. Uh, See if you can figure out what it is. If you get it, you could leave early. (laughs) Who knows what it is? Shout it out. Hanukkah, thank you. Way to go. I like the way you sort of tried to do that. Hanukkah. That was authentic. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Hanukkah today because it takes place in December, oftentimes around the same time as Christmas. There is a connection between the two. Hanukkah is not a solemn occasion. It's a joyous occasion. In fact, the rabbis tell us all sorrow and weeping or mourning is forbidden during uh, the period of Hanukkah. It's a time for, well, it's party time. And during this time, we play little games. We use these little tops. They're called dreidels. Perhaps you've seen them before. It has letters on each side standing for this phrase, a great miracle happened there. I'll tell you what the miracle is in just a second. But anyway, we spin these little dreidels, and the winner uh, gets sometimes, uh, we call it Hanukkah gelt or money. It's chocolate wrapped in this kind of stuff. It's good being a Jew. I'm telling you, folks, you should try it. But anyway, uh, so that's Hanukkah. And um, on Hanukkah, we eat uh, foods, special foods like what you're uh, seeing, I think, depicted on the screen here. Uh, My grandmother had a special recipe for these, which is hard to repeat. She never wrote it down. But it's a potato pancake, and you could eat it with sour cream or applesauce or if you really want to go hog wild, you just put a layer of sugar on that deal and uh, somehow it neutralizes the calories, I'm sure. I'm sure it really does. 
And so it's a, it's a fun time. And we sing songs even during Hanukkah. There's one about this dreidel. Um, how much would you like me to sing it? Uh, to, like a lot? So two people? Yeah. So those are, those are all people who haven't heard me sing. So, so here's, here, here's, here's, here's how it sounds. I have a little dreidel, I made it out of clay, and when it's dry and ready, oh dreidel, I shall play. Oh dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay, and when it's dry and ready, oh dreidel, I shall play. Join in, everybody. Uh. Even I know, I do not believe I hit even one note correctly. I know, but it doesn't matter. Then there's also a familiar element in Hanukkah. I bet you've seen it before. Here's what it looks like. It's a candelabra. We call it a Hanukkah menorah, and it has uh, branches on it, nine branches to be specific, and I'll tell you what they stand for in just a little while. But first, let me give you a little bit of background about Hanukkah. There was a really bad guy named Antiochus IV. He was a bad, mean, corrupt tyrant. And Antiochus IV uh, did not lack for ego and narcissism. And so he took on the name Antiochus Theos Epiphanes. He lived around 175 B.C. In fact, uh, here's an image of what he looked like. Not a bad guy. That's an actual coin from the day. Not a bad guy, a bad-looking guy, which goes to show you you can't any longer judge a book by its cover. He, he, in appearance, looked okay, but on the inside, he had a horrifically dark and evil heart. He insisted people call him Antiochus Theos Epiphanes, which means Antiochus, get this, the visible God. Antiochus, appearance of God. He claimed divinity for himself, insisted that people give him due respect as God invisible form. Well, the Jews of the day did not like him very much, as you might imagine. And so behind his back, they, uh, they uttered a little bit of a twist. Instead of Antiochus Epiphanes, they called him behind his back, Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the nut job. That, that's actually... That, that actually is, is a true story. So he came to Jerusalem, went to the temple precincts, and he had a pig sacrificed on the sacrificial altar. Here's what a pig looks like in case you Gentile people are unacquainted with what pigs look like. It's not really necessary for me to have shown you this pig, but I just thought, man, that is like the coolest pig picture, right? looking at the nostrils. And so anyway, he had this thing inserted uh, on, in the temple. This is like a no-no because according to Jewish dietary laws, you don't, you don't eat pigs. Then it got worse. He actually had a statue of this guy. His name is Zeus. You've heard of him. He was the Greco-Roman big-time god. He had a statue of Zeus also put in the temple, and he required that the Jews bow down to Zeus. Many refused, and the penalty was death. He slaughtered thousands and thousands of Jews. There was a nearby village about 15 miles northwest of Jerusalem called Modi'in. It's true. It actually exists. I've been there. You can go there today. In Modi'in lived a man named Matisyahu. Or um, Matthew. Oh, when Pastor Matt comes back, (laughs) 
We should call him that. Let's do it. Let's call him, hi, Pastor Matis Yahoo. Let's just do, okay, is it a deal? Raise your, okay. So uh, anyway, Matis Yahoo lived there. He had five sons, the oldest of which was a guy named Yehuda or Judah. He was a tough dude. In fact, he became known as the hammer, uh, which in Hebrew is Maccabee. And so he raised up a kind of a guerrilla army, Judah and the Maccabees. They waged war against Antiochus and his army for three years. And by God's grace, I think they actually won and forced Antiochus and his soldiers to leave the land. This happened in 164 BC. The first thing they did was to cleanse the temple. They rededicated it, and that became the first Hanukkah in 164 B.C. Because Hanukkah in Hebrew means dedication. It was to commemorate the rededication of the temple which had been defiled by Antiochus. Now Jesus, you've heard of him. He's the best. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, knew of and celebrated Hanukkah. In fact, we can read about it in the New Testament. I'll show you. Take a look at John chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication. Well, now, if you hadn't known, you know that's Hanukkah. That's what Hanukkah means, dedication. So you see, this holiday, Jewish holiday, is the only one only mentioned in the New Testament. And Jesus, this Jesus, he was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. It was an enclosed kind of a colonnade, a roof set up on columns. Uh, traveling rabbis would be there and teach, and they each had their school of pupils and students who they would teach. And Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Jesus, was one of them. But he was an extraordinary rabbi, was he not? And so he was walking there in the portico of uh, Solomon during Hanukkah. What was he doing? Well, I think he was teaching. But I think he also was not sitting, which would have been the customary position for a teacher in those days. Students would stand. Teacher would sit. But it says he was walking. Why? I think because it was cold. It was December. It actually could get cold in Jerusalem. It's elevated. You see. It could snow in Jerusalem. This transcendent Jesus, who has no beginning nor any end, always existed. This one who is the great beyond, except that he came near. This God in the form of man experienced even the throes of winter for folk like you and I. There he was, and here's what happened in John 10, 24. The Jews, therefore, gathered around him. Now, let me just make sure you get this right. That does not mean all the Jewish people. In fact, almost all of the Lord's early followers were Jews. They didn't reject him. They followed him. All, in fact, in those days, a Gentile like you who followed Rabbi Jesus, you would be the oddball. Now it's me. Uh, but in the good old days, <laughs> uh, we would have been the majority. That's the way it was. So what does it mean when it says the Jews gathered around him? Folks, it means the Judean rabbis. This is in the province of Judea, the southern part of ancient Israel. The Judean religious leadership, they were a problematic and resented 
Jesus because of the following he was getting. They gathered around him and they were saying to him, here's what they said. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, that means Messiah, by the way. If you're sharing your faith with a Jewish friend, use the word Messiah rather than Christ. That's no compromise. That's just cultural sensitivity. And, and so they, they, they say, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And he responds in verse 25, I told you. And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. Uh, the Lord Jesus did miracles, but never a random miracle. Today, you watch too much so-called Christian TV, and people are claiming miracles all the time. What's the purpose? For Jesus, his works were always a backdrop for his words. He didn't do things for mere dramatics or theatrics. He didn't do things just to astonish people. He performed miracle works that corresponded to what the Jewish prophets said would be done when the Messiah comes. So people like Isaiah said, when Messiah comes, the lame will leap for joy. The blind will regain their sight. And don't you see, those are all the miraculous works that Rabbi Jesus performed so as to show everyone, I am the coming one. I am your Messiah. And so the Lord Jesus says, you want me to speak plainly? The works that I performed in your midst over three years, don't they shout loud enough to you? I am the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Yeah. And then it goes on in verse 26. But you do not believe. And why don't they believe? He supplies the answer. Because you are not of my sheep. It's a little hard for us to appreciate the impact of that statement being 2,000 years removed. Here are these prideful, pompous Jewish religious leaders bedecked in all kinds of clerical vestment, thinking they're hot when they're not. And the Lord Jesus says to them, you don't even get it because though you be Jews and though you be rabbis, you're not of my flock. You're not even one of my sheep. You don't have a personal relationship with me. You don't get a personal relationship with Jesus by ethnicity, by birth, by being religious. You can only have a personal relationship with Rabbi Jesus by inviting him into your life. Anyone could do that, regardless of birth and ethnicity and age and gender and all the rest. But none of those things over which we squabble get you any points with Rabbi Jesus. Only repentance and confession and a turning to him for mercy and grace. Only that gets someone, inclusion in his flock. He's the good shepherd only for those who are counted as his sheep. And the Jewish rabbis were not, says he. Well, who are his sheep? Look at verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you wonder if you're one of the good shepherd's sheep? It's easy. Are you listening to what he has to say and doing it? Not with perfection, I don't mean that, but as a general direction in your life, a new direction. I used to do my own thing, now I hear the voice of King Jesus and I follow him. That makes you one of his sheep. That's evidence 
that you are one of his sheep. That's what he says. And furthermore, he says, <laughs> and I know them. Uh, many years ago, I used to do chapel services for the Houston Rockets. And uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, I, I felt like an excited little kid. These were before the game actually started. It would be back in the locker room. I would call together whoever wanted to come, and we would do a 10 to 15-minute kind of a Bible study in prayer time. One time I'm walking through a hall in the back there, and here comes Coach Rudy Tomjanovich. And I see him. I say, Coach, good to see you. I'd like to invite you to our chapel service. It's going to begin in just a few minutes. He said, uh, I don't know if I could make it tonight, Stuart. <laughs> I'm Stuart. <laughs> Coach Rudy knows me. You know what that means? Nothing. <laughs> In comparison to being known by King Jesus, he knows me. He knows my name. He numbers the hair on my head and your, your hair too. It's an easy count for some. But, 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 but if you're one of his sheep, don't you see? You're known by the Lord above all lords and by the king above all kings. Furthermore, there's more than just being known by him. Look, John 10, 28, and I give them eternal life. And they'll never perish. In case you're uncertain about what eternal life means, it means they'll never perish. How could this be? Well, no one, will, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. If I envelop those who are my sheep, nobody can wrest them, remove them from my uh, grasp. Therefore, the promise of eternal life will be fulfilled. That's what he says. I give, I don't miss this, I give them eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It cannot be earned no matter how good you think you are. It has to be received as a gift. Over the Christmas holidays, a number of us here on staff received a very gracious gift from one of our members. Um, it was a honey-baked ham. Yeah. So there's your Jewish dilemma <laughs> of free ham. But it was a gracious offer. The, the th it's the thought that counts. And uh, that wonderful, Philip Peavy, you know Peavy? From the funeral home up there, he's so, so, so helpful to our church family. Well, he's part of our church family. He's been so helpful over the years. And, um, Philip's, I don't think Philip's going to say to any of us, hey, you know, the ham I gave you, I want it back. I, I don't think there's much chance of that happening. And there's even less chance of the giver of eternal life saying, give it back. No, no, no. See, 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 if it has a temporary quality to it, it can't be called eternal life. Let's not get too deep theologically. This is just common sense. If Jesus calls it eternal life, then, then it can't on any terms be temporary life. You know what this Jesus, the good shepherd, has done? He's made it his mission to bring his sheep home. <laughs> 
I have no idea what this next year is going to hold uh, for us. Uh, but, 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 but I know about my ultimate future. You can too. I don't know about my immediate future, but I know about my ultimate future. Uh, he, he, he's going to bring me home. I'm an heir of e eternal life. That's what it says. And they will never perish. Well, the time is Hanukkah. And during this time, as we're reading, uh, the Jews, the rabbis, are looking to celebrate the rededication of the temple. And while they're doing that, don't you see, uh, Rabbi Jesus is looking not for a dedicated building, but for a dedicated flock of people. He's looking for the sheep. Forget about the building. He's looking for the sheep who will be devoted to him, who will be moved by his spirit, who will hear his word, who will submit to him, who will obey him, who will devote themselves to him. Now I want to share with you one other thing about Hanukkah. It's also known as the Festival of Lights. Why? It is thought when the Maccabees took back the temple and cleansed it, they found enough sacred olive oil to kindle uh, the uh, candelabra uh, in the temple. Uh, it had seven branches. You find it in the first and second temple. It is thought there was enough oil to kindle those lights for one day, uh, but that God miraculously supplied enough light for eight days. Hence, Hanukkah is called the Festival of Lights, and it lasts eight days. So instead of seven branches, there are nine. I'll tell you about the ninth in just a second. But right now, I want you to think about Hanukkah being the festival of lights because Jesus, at around the same time, said this in John chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And what does light do, uh, folks, for for one thing, light disperses the darkness. We used to live in Chicago in a high-rise apartment building. And uh, if you woke up at night to get a snack, you know, sneak something while your wife was sleeping, and you, you go into the kitchen, I'd flick on the lights, and these roaches, they'd be all over on the ceilings. Yeah, enjoy your lunch. And so they, uh, they would just scatter. they just scatter like crazy. They, kinda, they were much smaller than Texas roaches, you know. Texas, really big, like put a saddle on Texas roaches. But, um, but Chicago roaches, though they are much smaller, they're much smarter uh, than Texas. Texas roaches, they just, they just said, boy, I hope you're not going to step on me, but I, I see it coming. Oh, nuts. That, that's a Texas roach. But the Chicago roach, they, you hear them laughing at you. They say, give it your best shot. Me and Rita, I mean, what they'll do is they'll, they'll leave, but they go next door. And then when the light, you turn the light off, they, they come back. See, but the light, the, the light disperses the roaches. Jesus said, I'm the light. He disperses the darkness. It, it, it dwells in us, you know. It's in the world. Jesus is the light who disperses the darkness. Uh, secondly, uh, the light guides us around obstacles. Recently, I heard about a lady... Uh, she got up one night, she had to go to the bathroom, went hastily uh, through her bedroom on the way to the bathroom and stubbed her a toe on a piece of uh, furniture. Woke up the next morning and it was blue and swollen, really hurt. And, and then the bad thing is a couple nights later, she did exactly the same thing. So she made sure she inserted a, a light 
in the room to softly illuminate it. Why? Because light is that which guides us around obstacles. Jesus is the way. That's what he means when he says, I'm the light. I'll, if you let me, I'll guide you around the obstacles of life. Something else light does, it causes growth. Plants need light to grow. Trees grow towards the light. In fact, I'm told botanists call plants phototropic, meaning they're inclined in the direction of the light. They need light to cause them to grow, and we need Jesus, who's the light of the world, don't you see, to cause us to grow spiritually. Then finally, this is what light does. It provides warmth and comfort, doesn't it? Have you had a little kid who says, Mommy, Daddy, could you leave the nightlight on at night? Provides a kind of measure of security and comfort and, and, and warmth. In fact, studies indicate if you live in certain geographical areas where there's uh, the sun, say during the winter, is uh, rarely evident, you can get so depressed. It's a diagnosable condition uh, called seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Affect, that's emotions. The absence of light could actually cause a period of, of depression, don't you see? And, and light, it provides a measure of healthfulness and warmth and comfort and a good feeling. And Jesus said, I'll do that for you. I, 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 I'm Emmanuel. I, I came to be with you. Warm up in the presence of the light, which I'm willing to shed abroad in your Hearts. Don't you see, apart from Jesus, we, we live in darkness. We lack, we lack guidance. We don't grow, and we're not comforted. Now, I want to show you something as we uh, draw to a close here on this Hanukkah uh, menorah, it's called. In the original first and second temples, there was a menorah, as I mentioned, that only had seven branches. This has nine Eight for each day of Hanukkah. It was thought that God provided enough oil to last eight days. And then there's this mysterious ninth set apart, usually elevated somewhat from the others. I'll show you how we light all the others. This candle, it's called the shamash or servant candle. And from it, we light all the others, one candle each of the eight nights of Hanukkah. And so we'll light the first and, and then the second. Sometimes we let children in the house do this with supervision. This candle is called the shamash, the servant candle. It really reminds me of Jesus, of whom it says in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did, how did this come to be? Could I advance this theory? I think there's a basis for it. Jews like me who came to believe in Jesus centuries ago after he was crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended, they continued to celebrate Hanukkah, but they added an element to it, this servant candle representing Jesus who is the light of the world. And we Jews have been celebrating this since 164 BC. In my household, 
with reference to this servant candle representing Jesus, we sing a song. He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. We stumbled in the darkness, now we're walking in the light. He's the light of the world. He's the light. Jesus, don't you see? Jesus is the light of the world. Are you walking in his light? Has he dispelled the darkness in your life? Some people are repelled by the light for what it reveals. Don't do that. Be attracted to it. Could I tell you something? You were made for light, not darkness. You were made for Jesus. I don't know what 2021 has in store. I think things are going to get more challenging, frankly. You need Jesus more than ever. Fellow Christians, we need to run to him for light and comfort more than ever. Those of you who've never allowed the good shepherd to make you one of his sheep, why not do it today? Why not say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, enlighten me, show me my sin, show me that you suffered and died for it, come into my life, keep me from stumbling, illuminate the darkness, let me as I draw near to you find the kind of comfort the world cannot offer. I surely pray if you've not accepted the Lord Jesus, you do so even today and thus ensure that no matter what circumstantially may happen in this new year, Jesus, the light of the world, is in you now and forevermore.